Hear the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to encourage you to grab a copy of God's word if you have one with you. If, if not, the passage will remain on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. We just finished the series through the Beatitudes. And before we kick off a new Bible book to walk through, that's our typical practice here at Trace Crossing, to walk verse by verse through books of the Bible, we'll be going back to the Old Testament, beginning a uh, lengthy sermon series that will begin this fall uh, through the book of Genesis. So we'll begin Genesis in the month of September. But in the few weeks leading up to it, we believe that it was important for us to cover some essentials of our church. Now, the reason for that is, just as schools have started to resume or are trying to resume meeting, a a new ministry year is upon us. Our ministry year, our ministry calendar, essentially follows the school calendar, so we begin in the fall and then we finish up in the spring. Uh, This year is going to look a lot different. You know, that probably doesn't take any of you by surprise, But the way that we do ministry, the way that we disciple one another, the way that we build community, the way that we go on mission, it's just going to look different. The strategies are going to look different. It's not as easy as it used to be to just hop on a plane and fly around the world to, to, you know, proclaim the gospel. It it looks different. It's... It's not like we can, we can have multiple larger gatherings throughout the week. It's, it's, it's going to look different. And obviously, this morning, all you have to do is have eyes to see. We meet differently. We gather for worship differently now. We're not all in the same place at the same time sitting next to each other. You're spread out all across this room. I joke that, you know, as Baptists, we typically sit like this anyway, you know, even when the rows are all together. But, but we're spread out. We're all wearing masks. We're, we're taking precautions, things that we obviously don't typically do. So, so this is a change. We have two services, which we do not typically have. Um, when we meet for life groups, If the groups are too large, the encouragement will likely be to meet over Zoom. And this past spring, as we finished life groups up, that's what all of our life groups did. We didn't meet in person. We met over Zoom. Those are changes. And it's worth asking, how much can we change? Where do the changes begin and and where do they end? When do the changes go from being appropriate and healthy to inappropriate and unhealthy? And, And what's our guide to be thinking about that? Well, as we embark on a new ministry year with, with changes for the foreseeable future as, as COVID cases continue to mount in Mississippi, we need to be reminded of our core essentials. So as we start changing strategies, as we start adjusting methods, thinking through ways that we can continue to disciple one another, continue to build community, continue to go on mission, what's not changing? What's not changing for us? We, we need to re- be reminded of our core. And so I'm going to remind you over the next three weeks, three core essentials to the church at Trace Crossing, and, and they are gospel, community, and mission. Gospel, community, and mission. The gospel. It's, it's, we say that we, we want to know God and we want to love God. 
And it's through the gospel that we are able to do that. It, it's, a, it's the essential thing that we believe, the gospel. Community. This is where we know and love others, and we are known and loved by others. It's how the church acts. It's where we see the culture of the church on display. And then mission. This is where we make disciples, not only in Tupelo, not only in our own midst, but in all nations. This is where we take the grace that we have received and we extend it to those who have yet to receive it. This week, we're going to consider what it means for us to be a gospel-centered church. And that's one thing about Trace Crossing that is not going anywhere. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, you know, something that we learn early on or that we learn as children and then we move on to bigger and better things. The gospel is never in the rearview mirror. The gospel is the power of salvation for every Christian and every church. And it is power for the church to become what God has always intended for us to become. So the gospel is not and cannot be a marginal aspect of our church. It can't just be one thing among many. The gospel is the central power hub of our church. Okay, so if we believe that we are a people united by, empowered by, and energized by the gospel, we really need to know what the gospel is. And we need to know what the gospel does, and we need to know the role the gospel should play in our church. So based on 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to explore those three questions. Question number one, what is the gospel? If, if the gospel is as important and central as we say it is, what is it? What is the gospel? Second, what does the gospel do? What does the gospel do? And third, what is the gospel's place? What is the gospel's place? Okay. Here's where I want us to begin with this question. What is the gospel? And we're going to do something I don't typically do. I actually want to give you about 30 seconds to write an answer to that question. All right? You only have 30 seconds. These are, I'm, setting, I'm the one with the mic on. I set the rules, okay? I set the rules. So if you have a phone, uh, if you have something to write on, something to write with, I'll give you, as I'm kind of babbling now, just kind of gather your thoughts but I'm going to give you 30 seconds to answer this question, what is the gospel? Now, if you had three hours, your answer would be different. You have 30 seconds. So in 30 seconds, I want you to give an answer, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to time it out, okay? So 30 seconds, go. What is the gospel? Time. Time. Okay. All right. So some of you are probably frustrated. No, pencil's down. Pencil's down. It was 30 seconds, not 35. Um, all right. Now, we're going to go one by one. You're going to say your answers out. I'm just kidding. No, we're not going to do that. No pressure. No worries. It's really just an exercise for yourself. How many of you experienced frustrations just now? 
just now? Why, why is an exercise like this more difficult than we would like for it to be? Have you ever experienced that initial frustration if you talk about the gospel a lot and someone asks, asks you, what is the gospel? Or how, how would you define the gospel? And, and you feel like this, it's, it's not like a natural, oh yeah, this is what the gospel is. Have you ever felt that before? I think part of the problem is that we're often more familiar with our methods of sharing the gospel than we are with the gospel itself. Okay, so, so think about it. When you hear the question, what is the gospel? Here's what we typically, here's where our minds go first. Our minds first go to those methods that we learned when it comes to either sharing the gospel or learning the gospel. But the me- it goes to the method first, not to the gospel first. So uh, for those that have been at Trace Crossing for a while, you may have immediately thought and went to God, man, Christ response. Did any of you guys do that? It's like, what is the gospel? And you immediately go there. God, man, Christ response. That means that the method is an effective method, okay? So I'm, I'm not bashing the method. It's great. But, but your mind doesn't go to the gospel first. It goes to the method first. And, and then you try to define the gospel based on that. Or how many of you that grew up, if you grew up in like VBS rich churches, you know, maybe your mind first went to, okay, wait a minute, the gospel. I remember I, I believed the gospel when I was like eight years old. They baptized me. I was, a, I was one of the numbers, you know, that they, they counted off. So what are the ABCs again? You know, admit, believe. What did they say you had to believe? Confess, ABCs. We think about the method first. An- another problem is that we, we think everything Everything within Christian theology is the gospel. Everything. So we have to include all of it in a definition. I mean, I've seen gospel definitions that they, at the beginning they say, here's a simple definition of the gospel, and it ends up being over a page long. A, a simple, that's simple? That's the simple version? My goodness. I'd hate to hear the complicated version. And, you know, of course, of course, we could write books upon books, volume upon volume about the gospel, just explaining the gospel. I mean, the glimmer of the gospel never dims. It always shines brightly. The gospel is both simple and deep. And we'll never mine all the riches that exist within the gospel. We could define it in 10 seconds, and yet we could never exhaust its riches. A lot of times, though, here's what we do. We struggle to separate the gospel from its benefits. We struggle with that, to separate the gospel from its benefits. So for instance, the gospel is not salvation. The gospel is not salvation. Salvation is a benefit of the gospel. So it's, it's actually not technically correct to talk about justification in a definition of the gospel in its most simple terms. Salvation is directly tied to the gospel, but election, regeneration, justification, sanctification, you can go on and on, they are not the gospel. Now, why does it matter? Why does it matter even point out that that nuance point? Well, it's important because if we cannot distinguish the gospel from other aspects of Christian theology, our minds become clouded when it comes to the simplicity of the gospel itself. If someone asks you about the gospel and you start giving a homily on the attributes of God, you are confused. You are confused about the gospel. And honestly, that's what sets in. That's what sets in. With people who should be defined by the gospel, struggle to define the gospel. 
That's why we become so dogmatic about secondary theological issues. Have you ever thought about it that way? That's why we become so dogmatic about things that are secondary, like baptism, church government, views of what it's going to look like when Jesus returns, complementarianism versus egalitarianism. We, we, we see everything as a, as a gospel issue because our view of the gospel is clouded. Everything's a gospel issue. And so anytime our definition of the gospel is more complicated than clear, we start to depart from what the gospel actually is. So you know what we need? We need a simple definition. We, we need a simple definition. And we need a definition that is coming directly from Scripture, and the definition of the gospel that comes from Scripture may actually surprise you in how simple it is. It may not be enough for you. It may be less than what you were taught in the past. A simple definition. A definition that can be written out in 30 seconds. So here's the simple definition that I would give you. Based on 1 Corinthians 15 and other passages, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins as our substitute and was raised from the dead as our king. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins as our substitute and was raised from the dead as our king. And I will admit to you, even as I tried to simplify that definition, I could not help myself, and I added two things that are actually unnecessary. Do you, you know what they are? I want to read 1 Corinthians 15 again. So, so Paul makes clear here at the beginning, he's reminding the Corinthian believers of the gospel which he preached to them. And then he goes on in verse 3, and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So he's giving them the gospel, and here it is according to Paul. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that's it. That's it. So I actually probably could have simplified my definition even more and just said, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. That is the gospel. We can expand it, right? We can expand that definition. Like I said, we could write volume after volume explaining the gospel. Here's a short expanded definition that fits in with, with the one I gave you. The gospel is the good news that God rescues his people and will restore his created order from sin through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's expanded. It says a little bit more. It gives a little bit more explanation about what it means that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Now I want to unpack the simplest aspects of the gospel in three parts, trying to answer this question, what is the gospel? I want to unpack three simple aspects. First, the gospel before it is anything else, is news. The gospel is news. All right? So the gospel is an announcement, not advice. The central power hub of the church and of Christianity is an announcement, not advice. This simple idea distinguishes Christianity from every other religion and every other worldview. This simple idea that the gospel is news. 
the gospel is not advice for how we should live. The gospel is not law demanding that we pay for all the wrong that we have done. The gospel is not empty encouragement that everything's just going to be okay in the end. And the gospel is not a recommendation for how we can fix problems that we've created. The gospel, get this, is not even primarily a set of beliefs to hold in order to be accepted by God. The gospel is an announcement, this this royal announcement, this royal decree that that God has done something. In its most basic sense, the gospel is an announcement of something God has done. It is the news that God has intervened to set right all that we have broken. The gospel is God's welcome to wayward and weary sinners. It's a welcome from God, not a demand from God. The gospel is a pronouncement. It is a victory declaration that Jesus has done everything necessary to rescue and restore sinners and creation. Before the gospel is anything else, it is simply news. It is news. And here's, here's what that means. And this is crucial to us. The gospel is historical, not fantastical. All right? The gospel is an announcement not of some spiritual idea or some philosophy. It's an announcement of something that happened in history. The gospel isn't just spirituality. It is the story of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And that story is historical nonfiction. It, it matters, okay? If Jesus wasn't actually born... If Jesus didn't actually live, if he didn't actually die, and if he did not actually bodily rise from the dead, then the gospel means nothing. Every single thing that we believe that flows out of the gospel entirely depends on Jesus being a real historical figure. He had to be real, okay? It's it's like the resurrection isn't just a story of hope. He had to actually bodily rise from the dead. That's why those in Scripture especially like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, they speak of Jesus in the way that a reporter would speak of Jesus. So check out what Paul says here. So after he declares the gospel in verses 3 and 4 in, in 1 Corinthians 15, look what he says, where he goes next. Now you would think that he would, be, he would start praising the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus or start explaining what it meant. What, what do we get out of this? But look how much time he gives to remind the Corinthians that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Look what he says in verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is deeply concerned that the Corinthian believers understand that Jesus died and rose again and that there are witnesses to attest to the fact. It happened in history. It's, it's historical, not fantastical. So the gospel is news, this announcement that Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose again in history. 
this announcement, this declaration, this is what happened. So the gospel, before it's anything else, it's news. But it's not just any kind of news. The gospel is good news. Okay, so the second aspect of, of an answer to what is the gospel. The gospel is news, but the gospel is good news. It's the good news that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Okay, so let's, let's look at each of those aspects first. Jesus died in our place. Jesus' death in our place atones for our sins. So at Trace Crossing, we do not believe that we must or that we even can atone for our own sins through church attendance, through Bible knowledge, or through mission work. We do not believe that by meeting together for life groups, being actively involved in the church, attending on Sundays, somehow merits favor with God or somehow can make up for all the sins that we have committed. We believe the gospel. And the gospel is good news because it's that Jesus, through his death on the cross, bore all of our sin. And we find forgiveness only by the blood of Jesus. He is the one who made atonement. We believe that we have been cut off from heaven, that we have been cut off from God because of our sin. And we believe that there isn't a single thing we can do about it. We can't remedy this problem on our own. We're not enough. At Trace Crossing, we believe that Jesus is enough. We believe that he is enough to reconcile us to God. We believe that he is enough for all of our past, present, and future sins to be forgiven. We believe that he is enough to give us this glorious audacity to move on in freedom from our past sins. We believe that he is enough to give us a glorious future, one that we could never create or even imagine for ourselves. And it's all because of who Jesus is and what he did in history. What he did. We contribute nothing but adding to the problem. This is the greatest news in the world. Jesus died in our place. But the other aspect that makes this good news is that Jesus didn't just die, he rose again. Jesus' resurrection enthrones him as king of all things and secures our future. Jesus rose from the dead as a conquering king. He, he now rules the universe. He reigns over all things. It is Jesus who has all authority on heaven and on earth and under the earth. It is the risen Jesus who is now renewing all things. And our future is so bright, no matter how dark our days are right now, because Jesus is the reigning king of the universe. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can remain faithful to him while resisting fear, because now not even death can touch us. Not ultimately. We have hope a future resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead. This is good news because we could never earn or deserve or create any of these realities for ourselves. The gospel comes to us and it says, hey, listen, listen to what God has done. It has happened. 
But not only is the gospel news, and not only is it good news, the gospel is good news to us. It is good news to us. How do we benefit from the gospel? How does the gospel become good news to us? You notice this language Paul continues to use. The gospel becomes good news to us because we receive it. We receive it. He's, he's like, I'm going to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you in which you received. You received it. And he's like, I'm preaching it to you because I received it. I received it. He didn't come to this knowledge through a ton of study. He didn't earn a place with God. Now he's going to give it to everybody else. No, he had to receive it. And we receive it. And we pass it along to others. And they receive it. We receive the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection as a gift. And we receive it by faith. It reminds me of John 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Then in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We receive all the fullness of Jesus from Jesus as a gift, and we receive it by faith. Not as a reward for good deeds, but by faith. At Trace Crossing, we believe that the kingdom of God is wide open. It is not closed now that we finally entered in. It is wide open. Open And since God's grace is received as a gift, and since the heart of Jesus is to pour out the fullness of his grace, we believe the gospel is for anyone, and that anyone can get in on this. So a couple takeaways from this, this answering this question, what is the gospel? Listen, since the gospel is news, even though it's good news, even though it's the best news in the world, and even though it's good news to you, and all you have to do is receive it by faith, the gospel is startling news. It is the startling news that our efforts and contributions to salvation are empty and useless. The gospel meets you and says, you are not enough. And that's startling. But it's also comforting because we know that Jesus is enough. So here's what we have to do. Every single person in this room, since the gospel is news, not advice, since the gospel is a declaration of what has already happened, we are forced to reckon, okay? We are forced to deal with the historical announcement of what Jesus has done. Nothing's left. It's done, okay? It's done. So you've heard the news. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? You're faced with it. You are separated from God because of your sin. Jesus has answered that on the cross and through the empty tomb. You've got to deal. Every single person in this city, every single person in the world has to deal with the fact that God did something 2,000 years ago on the cross. Okay, second question. What does the gospel do? So that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead. So what does that, that news do? What does the gospel do? I want you to look with me at those initial verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Now, now listen to this language. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So the gospel is not neutral news. It is good news, and here's why two things from this passage from these verses Jesus' death and resurrection first 
change our stance before God. They change our stance before God. So you see what he says. This gospel in which you stand. We are saved by Jesus and by receiving Jesus by faith, by simple faith in him, our stance, our position, our status before God changes immediately. We are saved by Jesus. We are justified. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We are accepted. We are redeemed. We are reconciled. And we are loved. And it happens the moment that you believe. Nothing else is left to be done. So at Trace Crossing, we believe that we are not defined by our sins or our status or our success in the world because we stand in the gospel of God's free grace. We are defined by what Jesus has done for us. And and notice, he doesn't say the gospel in which you once stood at the moment of belief and now you stand in something else. No, your position can never be changed. You are immovable. Even though you would on your own move far away from God because of what Jesus has done for you, your status before God, your stance in the gospel is unchanging. You are immovable. We didn't just once stand in the gospel. We currently stand in the gospel. We will forever stand in the gospel. The gospel doesn't just open the door to God's kingdom. We relate to God on the basis of Jesus' shed blood and resurrected body from here on out. We stand in the gospel. It changes our stance before God, but it changes something else too. Jesus' death and resurrection change our lives from the inside out. So notice what he says. This gospel that he would preach to them, he says in verse 1, in which you stand, and then in verse 2, and by which you are being saved, which is strange for Baptists to think about. You know, once saved, always saved. We are saved, and we just declared that. We, we, we loved hearing that. We are saved, and nothing can change that. But Paul very clearly says here, this isn't a trick. This isn't a bad, you know, English translation. We are being saved. This is what he meant to say. We are being saved. Because Jesus died and rose again, actual inner change is possible. Actual change. So we are very glad for the truth that even though we often resist change, you know, and we remain in our sin, we are so thankful that Jesus' death was enough and that we are justified, not on the basis of our holiness, but on the basis of his righteousness. We're so thankful for that. But the beauty of the gospel is it doesn't stop there. We actually can change. We actually can become more holy. We actually can become more righteous. So when Jesus died and rose again, he paved the way for our own death and resurrection a death and resurrection that happens from within. This good news is for all of us, no matter how clean or dirty our past is. The gospel cleanses us and it changes us. It changes those of us who are dreadfully and obviously bad, and it changes those of us who are fraudulently good. Both apparently bad and apparently good people need resurrection. And God does not meet us halfway. By his nature, he creates order out of chaos. He brings life out of death. He resurrects our hearts from the ashes and creates something entirely new. The gospel is power for change, actual change. So through our reception of the gospel... We are invited into the story of God, this story of a holy God who not only rescues the sinful people, but restores them. 
So at Trace Crossing, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And because he did that, we can really actually finally change. So the gospel does the work of changing our status before God and changing our hearts from the inside out. And so because that's true, the gospel becomes our life's new operating system. A new code has been written on our hearts. Living according to the gospel is more than just following a new set of rules. Our whole life's disposition and direction has forever changed. And so since sin is more than a mistake, since sin is this comprehensive flow of our lives, we need a system makeover. We need, the system has crashed and we need it to be reordered and the gospel does that work for us. The gospel changes how we think about every single aspect of our lives. So now let's, let's not think about this individually anymore. Let's think about it as the church in answering this third and final question. What is the gospel's place in the church? If we know what the gospel is and we know what the gospel does, what place should it hold in the life of the church? Because you hear churches all the time, we're about X, Y, Z. This is what we're about. This is what we're striving to do. And sometimes for churches, the gospel is just one part of what they do. And I get it, it's really tempting. But do you notice what Paul says here in verse 3? Look what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. This is why we want to be a gospel-centered church. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And then he outlines the gospel. The gospel is of first importance. So the gospel should take priority in our church. Now, here's, here's what I mean by that. The gospel... And if you can, please, please get this. The gospel is not everything. Okay? It's not everything. But it must be the central thing. So when we think about ministry at Trace Crossing, the gospel is not everything. It is the central thing. This is a very important distinction to make. If the gospel is everything, then here, here will be our approach to every issue that, that happens in the world or happens in the church. Just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Your marriage is in trouble? Why would you go to counseling? Let me just remind you of the gospel. The gospel is power. It will change you. Why, why would I ever go to, to therapy over a deep struggle that I'm having within myself? I have the gospel. The gospel is everything. If the gospel is everything, we will ignore ethics because we will convince ourselves that it's not important to know how we should live. Just trust in Jesus. His righteousness is enough for you. If the gospel is everything, we strangely won't even care about holiness or righteousness. If the gospel is everything, we won't care about pursuing mercy or justice in the world. In a real sense, if the gospel is everything, if it's everything, it becomes nothing. It becomes nothing. It's robbed of its actual power. We miss what it actually is. We can become apathetic to worship. I mean, you, you've probably thought this before. I don't have to go to church to have good stat status with God. Going to I said it earlier in the sermon. Going to church doesn't make me closer to God. 
I'm accepted by what Jesus did, not by my church attendance. So if the gospel is everything, why come to worship? You'll become apathetic. If the gospel is everything, you'll become apathetic to community formation, to missional living. But when the gospel is the central thing, when it's centered, when it is the engine that's driving your life, then the gospel becomes the motivation for every single thing that you do. When the gospel is at the center of the church, it makes every single thing that we are and do matter. When the gospel is the central thing, our ethics, our holiness, our mercy, justice, kindness, goodness, go on and on, have both power and purpose. When the church inhales the gospel of life, we exhale all of its implications. Now, what does that look like in the life of the church? Well, in the life of the church, the gospel must remain our message, our model, and our motivation. The gospel is our message. It's what we do. It's central to our preaching and teaching. It's central to our worship and evangelism. We, we don't just think of, of a good flow to the service. We think, how can we put the gospel on full display? We even say it as part of our liturgy. We are here to retell the story of the gospel through every single thing that we do. Otherwise, we would never confess our sins because it's an awkward part of the service right? We want to put the gospel on full display, though. It is our message and our evangelism. We don't just want people to, to come to church because, hey, man, like, we'd love to have you here. We'd love to just build this community. It's going to be really exciting. No, we want them to know Jesus. The gospel is our message. Every single week, we hold up the precious stone of the gospel. We turn it. We look at different facets of it, and we delight in it. But the gospel is also our model. It's how we do what we do. We look at how God has responded to our sin with grace and mercy and love. We look at the freedom that is created by the cross of Christ. So the gospel is central to our culture, the culture we're building here, the community that we're building here, our outreach, our evangelism. It isn't harsh or cold. It is warm and welcoming. Why? Because that's how God has received us. We who have received grace, we do all that we do with grace. We who have received hope, we do all that we do with hope and love and acceptance, belonging, joy, and we can go on and on. The gospel is our model. But lastly, the gospel is also our motivation. It's why we do what we do. It's not everything. It's a central thing. Why do we love others? Because the gospel shows us that God first loved us. Why do we forgive others? Because through the gospel, God first forgives us. Why do we care about building community? We'll talk about community all week next week. Why do we care about that? Because through the gospel, God has invited us into his community, to have communion with him. Why do we care about mission, evangelism in Tupelo and beyond, providing relief and care for the poor and the vulnerable? Because through the gospel, Jesus became poor for us. Jesus was on mission for us, and so we join him in his mission. It's the gospel. It's our message. It's our model. It's our motivation. And this can't change for us. In light of all the changes that we have to make, we're not changing this core essential to our church. It must remain central to who we are and what we do. 
And as long as the gospel in its historical and biblical context remains of first importance to us, then guess what? This uncomfortable reality. We are free to adjust. We're free to adjust our strategies. We're free to adjust our forms and how we grow in the gospel. If the gospel is our message, our model, our motivation, we are free to continue changing how we can go deeper into the gospel. This works better. No, we tried that. That doesn't work. We can do it this way. We're free to make those changes. We don't hold tightly to any of our models, our our methods, our strategies. We hold tightly to this core essential, this gospel truth. We have everything we need to grow into the community that God has redeemed us to become. So, closing question for you. What is your next step? If you, as you've heard this, this initial core essential of Trace Crossing, what's your next step? Maybe you need to, for the very first time, respond to the gospel with repentance and faith. As I said, the kingdom of, of God is wide open to you. It is wide open. Enter in by receiving what Jesus has done by faith. Or maybe, maybe your life is a little disordered right now. Maybe the gospel is at the margins. Maybe you need to centralize it. I want to encourage you to respond to the gospel however you need to respond. When we centralize it, the beauty and power of Jesus is seen in us, and that's what we want. We want Jesus to be seen in our lives. When that happens, we live to his glory and we live to his glory no matter how much else.